CITR 101.9. Listening to the Arts Report on CITR Radio at 101.9 FM, broadcasting live from the traditional unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver at the UBC Point Grey campus. I'm Lua Prezichu, and I'm here with my co-host. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Sara <laughs> Unjo. Sometimes you just get so used to like speaking your name, how Americans spe- speak your name, yeah, and then you forget how to speak your own name. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, that's just what happened. Um, we will start today's show with an interview with the lovely Luciana Silvestre Fernandes, who is the director of The Changeling, which is now playing at the Chance Center for Performing Arts, and is right here in the studio with us. How are you, Luciana? I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm good too. So before we start this interview, I would just like to give a general trigger warning. This play does have mentions of sexual violence, among other things, and it is definitely not suitable for younger audiences. Uh, later on today's show, we will be digging a little deeper on the contents of the play and how it was performed and all of that with a little bit of a, with a review. So. Um, this is a warning for anyone listening that we there will be mentions of sexual violence on this show. With that said, Luciana, how would you summarize the themes of this play? Uh, so The Changeling is a Jacobian tragedy, so same, uh, same period as kind of late Shakespeare, and it's telling the story of a woman who is set out to marry a man she's not interested in and is entrapped in this situation, but instead of surrendering, she decides she wants to control her own destiny and she wants to find a way of getting rid of her current fiance to marry the man she loves. And uh, um, in this play, I tell it exclusively from her perspective, unapologetically from her perspective. And we follow her down- downfall and entrapment of existing in a world that does not allow her to have that agency. So I know that in Shakespeare plays, uh, there is no stage directions. Is that this also the case with um, Will's, William William Rowley's and Thomas Middleton's play? Um, yeah. So the, the most uh, stage directions you have, there will be moments that says, you know, um, a wedding, she's following a great process by her ladies, uh, they lock eyes. That is the biggest chunk of stage directions there, which is quite generous. Normally it's, you know, fight, enter, and exits, but... This, the the script comes very much bare bones. And so did you kind of like t- create take on creative liberty to maybe omit certain parts of it and f- to focus on her perspective? Or how would you focus on uh, her perspective? So I did, as, as far as the script editing goes, my show runs at an hour 35, and that play can run at two and a half to almost three, depending on how oh you my. stage. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's a lot. Uh, a lot of my trimming is, you know, uh, there's jokes that don't make any sense anymore. Uh, and there is thematically leeways of, uh, you know, a few minor characters discussing something, uh, their, their feelings about a theme, but that's not actually related to the action of the story. So I cut it a little bit tighter to stay with her. Cool. Um, not as in like modifying the events of the play, but keeping it tight. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, and in keeping it tight, there is this subplot, and maybe mm. it was just me, but I did hard have a, a little bit of a hard time following the subplot and how it connected with the major plot. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit more about it? Yeah, so a lot of plays at the time, there there is a standard series that you have the main plot, and then you have a secondary. There's generally tackling the same kind of uh, topics and situations, and there's a, some minimal overlap with the characters. So in this case, the main plot is Beatrice's Joanna's castle, and the subplot is at a doctor's, uh, what, would, what would have been an insane asylum uh, at the time, uh, following um, Monica, um, who's, um, who is playing um, the wife of the doctor, uh, who is also then said, you know, oh, you can't go home because men are gonna look at you. So she gets entrapped in a different way, and her story runs pretty parallel 
with Beatrice Joannas until at the very end when it comes to a murder suspicion that they, then they overlap. So I find the subplot is important as in it expands the world. Uh, we know what Beatrice's Joanna household is like, what the rules that that operates by. When we get to the subplot, we get a sense of what is the entire world like? What does the world do to people that don't fit in? What does the world do to people that don't belong? Then there's a very clear institutionalization and a clear system of punishment to whoever doesn't fall into those very strict guidelines. So it gives you a sense of what are the options open to Beatrice otherwise is to end up there. I see. And so this play is your choice. The Changeling is your choice for your MFA thesis, correct? Correct. And why did you choose it? So this play uh, has been sitting with me for a decade. The first three times I read it, it gave me nightmares. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I, can, I can see that after watching the play. I can, I can totally see it. <laughs> yeah. So like I'd, I read the play when I was in my undergrad, and it gave me nightmares. Then I read it for the midterm, and it gave me nightmares for the finals, and it gave me nightmares again. <laughs> oh and when we were studying it, I come across this, in, like my professor mentions this interpretation of the play that is apparently actually prevalent, uh, that there's a reading of Beatrice's Joanna Assault, uh, as not a sexual assault. They says her coming into her full villainous self. And I didn't think my blood could boil that fast. I wanted to flip a table immediately. It's like, are we reading the same text? <laughs> like, how can, like, are you taking a black marker to everything she says and does and everything that is said and done to and about her? Like, how much are we refusing to listen to her here to get to that conclusion? Um, and that is still a prevalent mode of thinking. I've seen professional productions in the last three years uh, that take that vein. Uh, when you look at the, the criticism, like academic criticism, the articles are saying like, oh no, uh, it's, you know, whether she's a victim is wholly questionable because, you know, oh, it's coercion and she uses coercions. And, you know, my immediate instinct is, well, fuck you that that is not rape <laughs> and fuck you that an imperfect victim is not a victim. Uh, so it's a lot of it is to do justice to her and the woman is stuck in her situation. And she's flawed. She's human. No one is good in this world. Let's let's get that straight. And mm -hmm. specifically in this play, I don't yeah. think there's there no, are no absolutely. characters that are no flawless. No, no one is like perfectly redeemable. But it's about how do you exist when you are compressed in those world when you're in a world with walls, they're constantly closing in on you. And no matter what you do, you're kind of doomed if you do doomed if you don't. Power is scattered, whatever it happens to be. And how, what do you do? Do you accept the fate? Do you become a Shakespearean that alas, woe is me and off yourself? Or do you fight? Or do you understand the rules of those world, that world and try to fight for a place in it? Uh, so it's very much about taking the perspective and honoring her attempt and, you know, the many imperfect women who have been silenced for far too long. Mm -hmm. I feel that um, if I were to watch any other production of this play, I mean, my blood boiled at many points right. throughout yeah. the play. I was, especially when she, um, towards the end of the play, where she, after the second rape happens, and she turns to all of us and she says, this is a man worth loving. That phrase mm -hmm. just... Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> totally. and I, and I, I there was something about it that I was like, how can anyone write this? Well, but I think like I, the the thing I think it does so beautifully is that it embodies trauma so well, and that's partially one thing that I've done. That it is very much uh, you know if you're going there expecting you know your stuffy classical Shakespeare, you're you're, you're in for a surprise. <laughs> it is a nightmare. The play is a stage as a nightmare because it is an expressionistic approach. It is about trauma and embodying trauma, because there's a reason this play gives nightmares to so many of us. Because we look at it, we hear the florist's first speech, and we know that that's a red flag. Because we have learned to be aware. So my approach is very much taking a highlighter to the things that those people have been taking black markers to, and underlining those things. And what happens when someone is entrapped at that point, and that scene is complicated, right? Like she, she's completely entrapped, and the man who's abused her is the only one that she can count on at that point somehow. Uh, and. She, she gets to that point of like, you know, you learn to love your cap your captor. It's the slave who learns to love your chains, which is such an accurate response to traumatic events that if you can't beat it, then you try to make it something else, which she never does. When you get to the next scene, when she's, she confesses, she's still saying, my loathing was profit to the rest. Yeah. So but she's it like is pulling such it back. a natural response of victims that she gets to that point. She's like, I must trust somebody. He goes like, I know what I'll do. 
I will save you. I will protect you. I will do this. I will do that. And what do you do you're in that situation, right? Yeah. Um, and so you mentioned um, the expressionist aspect of it. And I, I adored, I absolutely <laughs> adored the setting of it. Mm -hmm. um, using a round stage was very interesting to me. And my question to you is, why choose that? And what are some of the challenges that you faced in trying to direct a play set in that space? Mm -hmm. So I love that space. Uh, I get to also, when I pitch my thesis, I also get to pitch the space, whether I want the traditional theater that the Fred, Freddie Wood is, like the proscenium, or whether I want the Weird Chance Center. Uh, and you walk <laughs> the into weird that space, but it great. is, like you walk into the space and like it overwhelms that three levels of audience, it's so vertical. You're, you're swallowed up, it's so intimate, yet so big, right? And capturing the feeling, because that space has ghosts. Uh, and the idea of that is that then if the play is that the audience centers the world, they are in the world, they're in Beatrice's Joanna Nightmare. So I have audience booths that are actually playing spaces. Uh, we have actors going around audience at some points. Uh, we have a lot of surround sound. The same ropes they're coming from the stage connect onto the audience. If the madmen are in those booths, so guess what? So are we. Uh, so it is a way of really getting the audience inside it and give them a chance to like, experience this from within. See what it is like when you have a traumatic response and you're listening to something replaying on your head repeatedly. What is that like when you're sitting there and you constantly have that scratching noise on the back of your head um, that brings them in a little bit more. The challenges is it's a beast of a space, <laughs> right? So you're dealing with a lot of the practicals of uh, sight lines and uh, you can't have very bi many big structures. Uh, you can't build you know, an entire living room in the middle, which is not my style anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think all of those are freeing more than limiting because it's about how much can you evoke with how little. And I also think it was very well done because it's very easy. Oh, my designers are incredible. Uh, it's like. very easy when a space like that to go sideways and. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I think Luis, uh, our set designer, Luis Belasai, he's also an architect and understands the space intimately and he's restless. You get in that space, you're like, if you don't stop him, he's going to continue <laughs> working and continue perfecting it. Uh, he managed to find a way that without building something that gets on the way per se, gives you that feeling of entrapment, right? So there's a lot of ropes that come all the way from the floor to the ceiling, to the audience booth, that as soon as you walk in, you are in that maze. Mm -hmm. You are kind of in that spider web. You, you are kind of caught in with it while it's still, that is flexible space. My actors can walk through those ropes. They can hold onto those ropes. Uh, no one is blocked by it because it's a tiny little rope. So even if it is in front of someone's face for a split second, you're not really, you know, yeah. losing much. Yeah. Um, the only thing I felt at times, well, maybe it's because of where I sat. Mm. Um, I was on the second floor towards the closer to the stairs. So okay. I did. I was one of those people yeah. that had the the, the covering on, yeah. on the back so like yeah. i couldn't turn around and see what was behind me because actors were coming behind me oh, constantly yeah and at times i was just like i was looking at the bottom well first off i had spent the entire play like over the balcony yeah. almost <laughs> like oh what's happening over there yeah and i was just like turn to me turn to me turn to me <laughs> Because there were moments of they, they like doing going around, but there were moments that I was like, I just want to see your face right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I understand that those are some of the limitations of the space, but there were so many moments that I was like, this performance mm -hmm. could be so much better that if I could see her face right yeah. now. <laughs> and I think that's one of the interesting things of that space that I kind of love is that you get a different experience depending on what seat you're seated yeah. in by a lot. Because if you're on the third floor and you're looking down on them, you're really looking down on them, you're watching them with the eyes of God. Uh, <laughs> if you're on the first floor and they're right there, if you're on the side that gets more of Beatrice's face versus if you're on the side that get more of the florist's face, you get a slightly different mm -hmm. narrative, you get a slightly different experience. And those plays are very much written for that, right? There's a lot of asides that a lot, there's a lot of immediate like talking directly to the audience uh, that the actors then split with whom they're saying, but it's something very different if there's someone right there that you can make contact that you could possibly touch if you stretch out your arms versus if it's someone who is up looking there at you looking from above. Down, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And another thing is, I, you already mentioned this, how, you know, how you're kind trying to bring her views about and highlight really her views. And I was wondering, is there a particular reason that, um, how is it that embracing her view, 
how do I phrase this? <laughs> I mean, it's a complicated question, mm-hmm. but it's about what does it bring to the table? Like, why bring back this play? Why bring back this in this moment in time right yeah, now? Yeah, I think w- the biggest thing for me is like, we are fucking done with those lines of interrogations of did you did you try closing your leg? Like, oh, but did you sleep with someone before? I think if anything, the Michu movement has brought to us is the awareness that this is much more endemic than we like to believe uh, and that it's a lot closer to home. And a lot of going through this play, one thing I, the one thing I learned is like this is a collective trauma. This is not just my nightmare. Uh, I would talk to people who, you know, never read anything Elizabethan Jacobian. They started reading the play. They were on like the Flores' second speech. Haven't even got to any, you know, murdering, raping, no, none of the violence yet. And they're like, oh, that guy, like he sounds like someone I know. Uh, And there's something about tackling the classics uh, that has a little bit of power with that. Because there's something that was like, oh, the works, the great works that survive time and et cetera, that they speak to the universal experience. But what what, what do we get that is the same rendition that someone decided was the right way to do it a couple hundred years ago. And that's where we get those productions that keep saying that like, oh, she's a villainess and she wanted and she was asking for it and tell the story from the perspective of her abuser. Uh, And I think it's extremely powerful for our generation to come up and be like, you know, actually, no. If you're seeing that on the text, take ownership for that, that's you. Mm -hmm. This is so clearly to me a story about abuse, a story about agency. A story about like how do you like how do you play at a game where the odds are stacked too high against you and you understand the rules of those that world, it is. It, it, it is very much. It is very much still a story of our times, uh, but who who's telling that now, can bring our eyes to open like oh is that really how things are is that really how things are supposed to be is that is that just how things have always been, is that what all the great works are like, uh, no that was someone's interpretation that we've just started repeating doesn't have to be well i definitely like that point of view (laughs) (laughs) Um, and i think to conclude our interview today um even after watching the show i don't think i fully understand why it's titled the changeling could you explain (laughs) that to me i don't know can i um that's a tricky question because like and uh, the the scholars are all up at arms about it uh and a print uh, a printed version of the script has the changeling as one of the minor characters in the subplot. Uh, so the changeling can be the term for like repla- like when fairies steal babies and replace them. Uh, what the playtext does is connect that to the idea of changing, being someone who goes through a change and becomes something else. So one of the characters the at the end has this, this speech about like, oh, like the final speech, um, which is, he goes like, oh, here is beauty, changed to whoredom, servant obedience to, mas- you know, to challenging his master. Uh, who else has changed? And then there's, you know, the subplot guys are like, oh, yeah, I changed. I was pretending to be crazy. I was also pretending to be crazy. And that one was like, you need to change, husband. You're crazy. Um, <laughs> so, so in a way, and when you see all the characters, they are initially presented in a way, and then they completely flip. And I think that's something it does very, it does, very, it does that very well with humor, too. You start laughing with someone. And then suddenly they pull the rug under you and are like, oh my God, that person is horrible. Why was I laughing here? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very much about the, how, how people change, what are the changes, uh, and who is really a changeling. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very interesting question to go with. I don't think that's something that should be, answered, you know. Necessarily. Like, like a check, yeah, it's a not check, a check mark. box yeah. answer, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so thank you for so much for coming into the show. The changeling is playing at the Chance Center until this Saturday night. February 1st, is that correct? Correct. Perfect. So if you want to catch it, it is very cheap for UBC students. So like, be sure mm-hmm. to like take advantage of that. Yeah. Again, Juliana, thank you so much for being here today with us. Um, we're going to go into a quick ad break and PSA break. And when we are back, we will be talking a little bit more about The Changeling. And then we're going to be listening to an interview about Frontera, Yay. which is a dance show. Um, can you explain a little yeah. bit more? Oh, Frontera? Just like a general idea. What oh, it is. so a general idea. It's, you know, it's a dance show, but in reality, it's actually a multimedia performance. It's uni- It unites dance, music, and light. <laughs> so it's like a multi-sensory experience, let's say. Well, cool. Now we're going to go into our ads and PSA breaks. Thanks. <laughs> 
When you join Balloon Club, we guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the first day. Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms. Uh, it's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah blah, blah 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 blah. Explosions. There's only one club worth joining at UBC, and that's CITR 101.9 FM. We got free tickets to shows, whirly pops, professional help, and all types of audio engineering, passes to festivals, crazy parties, live band swag, all types of crazy people. Our programming manager rides a motorcycle. There's freestyle rapping, Nardwar, the human serviette, the vinyl and record libraries, Discorder magazine, free studio recording, and it sure beats the hell out of Paperclip Club, which is a thing that I just made up because I work at CITR. So come check us out on the floor of the Student Union Building. We got all types of crazy shit for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca. Fundrive 2020, CITR's annual fundraiser extravaganza, is almost upon us. This year's theme is Crush on CITR. And since we deal primarily in sound around here, we started wondering... What does a crush sound like? Hey, do you want to make out? It's like that um, filter on Instagram. It's like... Well, um, as great as those answers were, uh, we're kind of hoping this year a crush sounds a bit more like... Because your donations are what allow us to do, well, almost everything. Hosting free radio and podcast trainings, publishing the amazing Discorder magazine, producing local independent news, promoting and playing local music, and so much more. Our fund drive goal is to reach $30,000 by February 14th. You can show your crush on CITR right now by visiting citr.ca slash donate. And we're back. That was a really loud kiss. That was a really loud kiss. Um, what you are hearing right now, and I believe you are hearing. Yes, I think for sure they're hearing And it. the background is yeah. the medicine show, which is going to come up after us. Some very exciting stuff. Well, like, I'm here, and, like, we're sitting in a soundproof studio, yeah. <laughs> and we can still hear them play. So it will be an experience. So stay tuned in for after our show. The medicine show is coming up. But back to our show and what we're discussing right yes. now. <laughs> the Changeling. Um, I'm going to make this review kind of short just because we did hear a lot from it yeah. straight from the source, you know, like right from the director. But um, my general opinion of it is that this is a play that is difficult to watch. Mm-hmm. It tackles certain themes that I might not have necessarily been ready to listen to or... Oh. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. See, like the good things. I'm seeing it on Friday, so now that I know all of this, <laughs> I'm gonna be fully prepared for all of that. That's good, and I wasn't. Um, and I, at the same time, I do a lot of these things on purpose. I do go to a lot of most of the shows I watch. I go completely without reading anything, without mm-hmm. like looking for anything, because I want that fresh, completely like un unbiased, not unbiased, yeah. because you know everyone has their own bias, but like unaltered view that's not going to be affected by other people necessarily and so the set so i'm gonna say the three things that blew me away in this in this show were the set the costumes and the performance Mm -hmm. um the set like we talked about before our ad break was just beautifully beautifully created um it's a round stage and it does have basically a completely open layout um, where there are ropes that kind of create this web-like space that feels entrapping, but it also feels like, like if I could, I would have like hung myself onto those oh ropes and just be like, this is super cool kind of thing. <laughs> um, and so the performance did take place. And I mean, a stage like that is always a challenge. And it was a very good performance, a very great performance for the space and just the set design i'm just you know me i am I'm, I'm always in love with set designs yeah. you know like the better yeah. <laughs> the more in- innovative the more like crazy the more out there 
the moral of it. Yeah. And I feel that uh, this is the first also performance I've seen in this space in the Chen Center. And I'm really, really happy it was staged there because I think it would have taken a completely, the play would have been just completely different if it was set in a proscenium style Mm -hmm. where um, in this space, it did feel like you were almost participating in the story. You were part of that world. You were engaged in all of that was happening. In a proscenium stage, I think that at some point, I would have just left this theater oh my God. because I wouldn't have been as involved yeah. in the story. And it is a very intense story. And now, two costumes. Um, these are the co- most of the costumes, if not, no, most of the costumes off the, again, like we said, there's a main plot and a subplot. So basically, the way they did um, the costumes for that, mm-hmm. which I found really interesting, was that they kind of color, color coordinated who Ooh. belonged in which plot. Interesting. And so all the people that are part of the main plot have these very red, mm-hmm. these tones, um, these red tones, and in, in all of their clothing are red toned, mm-hmm. including this beautiful wedding dress that was constructed in a, like a mermaid style with this okay. huge veil that trails mm-hmm. down beautiful 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 stuff um and then on the other hand the subplot is all these browns mm-hmm. and so you do you see this clear distinction between well to me the, my first thought was like the higher class the people in the castle the nobles and then the the insane asylum mm-hmm. where you know the doctor that is that might have been have some kind of fame but it's like obviously not at the same level as the other ones and you definitely see in their clothing there is a special attention to detail um, another thing that I found really interesting is that they use these like pointy things to to. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like, um, like there are a lot of like pointy stuff. Like pointy. <laughs> Point. stuff. It's like the clothes are just imagine like old Lady Gaga. I'm assuming. Yeah, kind of Lady Gaga, like pointy, shoulders, um, like pointy, pointy shoulders, pointy shoes, yeah. um, pointy corsets or, or like elements of pointiness or like sharp edges mm-hmm. and i think it contrasted really well with a lot of the brownness of their attire mm-hmm. because you know like these are at the end of the day very much like ball gowns and whatnot um it not only it contrasted to the roundness of their of the attire it also contrasted and worked really well together with the set mm-hmm. because it kind of like reiterated the theme of like the web and crossing and like these these lines going through so that was great. <laughs> and then the performance was just incredibly engaging. Um, all of the actors were were very well suited for their roles. And, um, you know, this is a hard, <laughs> this is a very difficult play. It tackles certain themes that are just really hard to portray well. And I was crying after the first sexual assault scene i was very much like in that moment with the actress with the character Mm -hmm. and so i think that tells a lot just by itself of the quality of these performers however my general opinion of this play is that it's just a big trigger warning (laughs) is i I don't i like i i don't know what else to say except that it was a very intense night um, mm-hmm. But I never want to repeat that again. <laughs> yeah, some plays, it's like a one-time experience. It's, yeah, it's absolutely a one-time experience. I never want to watch that play again. I never want to hear about this play again. It, it... <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, we like, you know, the costumes, the design, the acting, everything is good. But like, but the, the play, play itself, itself like, yeah. it's, it's, it just comes down to the choice in play and the choice in theme. And I understand, after talking to... to to the director after talking to Luciana um, Silvestri. I want to say her full name because it's, it's like it's such a cool name, Luciana Silvestri Fernandes. Like, you know, yeah. so flowy. When you're able to pronounce <laughs> it, yes. <laughs> but as, as and like, honestly, I'm going to be very truthful. Coming into the studio today, I was a little bit scared to talk to Luciana because I I came out of that play and I was like, I did not like this experience. This was not a fun experience. Um, mm-hmm. But understanding all these different layers and hearing her talk about her choice has given me kind of like a moment to rethink 
everything that I watched. Mm-hmm. And now, again, I would not do that again. I'm not saying I would. Um, but it is a very interesting play when you take it on those terms. This is this isn't a story. This is a story that I hope no one will ever face in real life. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, so I know it is too close to reality to make me feel comfortable. Yeah. And I mean, if you do get a chance to see it, it is definitely something. Um, <laughs> if you're in love with set designs and costumes, as me. <laughs> yes, um, it's definitely a play worth seeing. But again, if this is these are topics that will make you comfortable. If these are topics that, you know, are just a little bit too hard, this is not the play for you. Mm-hmm. These this is a play that at the end of the day you need to have a little bit of tougher skin to watch. Mm-hmm. And part of me almost wishes that she knew that before she watched it, but at the same time it's like, you know what? It was an experience of itself. Yeah. Experiencing being part of all of it. Yeah. And I guess on that note, <laughs> let's move on to something a little bit more cheery. <laughs> um <laughs> We are going to listen now to another interview um, about Frontera, like we talked about before our ad break. But Sarah, why don't you talk to us a little bit more about what Frontera is, when it's happening, and all of that. Of course. So, as I said before the ad break, if you're just tuning in now, like my dad. By the way, my dad is listening live from Turkey. Hi. (laughs) Hello, Sarah's dad. Um, Frontera is a multimedia performance. It unites dance, music, and light. And so this means that there are three different groups collaborating. Wow, that word's hard to pronounce. Anyway, so there's Dana Greengrass is the choreographer, and she has a dance company called Animals of Distinction. So the dancers are from Animals of Distinction. So that's one group of the collab. And then the lighting is done by United Visual Artists. That's the second one. And lastly, the music. They have live music during the show, which I've never seen before. Every dance show I've been to, the music, you know, plays from, it's recorded, it plays from the stereo, whatever it is, and the music system. And But like with Frontera, it's live music and it's played by, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I love live music. <laughs> it's played by the Montreal-based post-rock band Fly Pen Am. And so the interview I did is with J.S. Trushi, who is the bassist of Fly Pan Am. So this mu- this actually was my first interview with a musician. High five. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and it was actually like, it was really fascinating to hear about this from the point of, point of view of a musician because... At the you end know, of the day, we're dancers, and that's the usual perspective we go for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, not the dancer, not the choreographer. It's the people who are doing the live music. And so, yeah, that's cool. it, I guess. Enjoy. <laughs> and so with that, let's listen to that interview. Um, after the interview, we're actually going to go straight into a PSA, another PSA and ad break. Mm-hmm. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Old Stock, a refugee love story, and Fun Drive, because Fun Drive is coming up, and you can you have a chance to win prizes. Hello, everybody. This is Sarah, and I'm here with an interview for you. Today, we'll be talking with J.S. Tushi about Frontera. So Frontera is a multimedia experience of motion, sound, and light. It is in partnership between Dana Greengrass's Animal of Distinction, United Visual Artists, and Flypan Am, which brings me to my guest, J.S. Tushi. Hi, how are you today? I'm good. Yourself? I'm good. Thank you. Would you like to introduce yourself? Just tell us a little bit about you and Flypan Am. Um, sure. Um, well, I've, I guess uh, I started playing music about 20 years ago, and uh, a little bit more, I guess. 25 years ago or something like that. And uh, Fly Pan Am came together in, I would say, 98, 97. And uh, we released a few records, toured, and took a long pause. We stopped playing in 2004 Mm -hmm. uh, because we felt like we had done what we could do at the time, 
music-wise, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with what was what with what was offered to us, mm-hmm. and um, and until and then we started playing again, say maybe four years ago. And uh, in between, um, I worked uh, with other bands, mm-hmm. mainly a band uh, called Avec le Soleil Sortant de sa Bouche, which is also on Constellation Record and uh, released some solo work. Okay, yeah, that sounds really interesting. So you had a big hiatus. Um, yeah. How, how does it feel back to be back with the band? Have you missed it? Um, I think for a long time, I don't think none of us missed it, mm-hmm. uh, just because we... We still had our friendship, like we um, we still saw uh, each other all the time mm-hmm. and talked to each other all the time. Uh, so, and we didn't really miss miss the band just because uh, we felt like we we had done what we needed to do at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I guess uh, five six years ago, just with what everything uh, with what uh, everyone was doing individually or with other bands. Uh, we started to be interested in playing together again, just just seeing with what everyone was doing musically and uh, what we could use, uh, the technology we could use, mm-hmm. just made us think again about what it is that we wanted to do back in the day. And we started feeling to feel like we could possibly push further what mm-hmm. we had been trying to do. I don't know if it's clear. Yeah, it is. It is. It's really interesting, actually. And so I'm gonna um, ask a little bit about Frontera and yep. what you do. So, how is it different to work in a project like Frontera from what you used to do as a band? Well, the the focus is very different, mm-hmm. and um, and I think it it somehow freed us from certain uh, restrictions mm-hmm. that we usually impose on ourselves, uh, music wise. What and. Type of uh, restrictions. I was gonna say. I'm sorry. I caught you off. Sorry. I caught you off. I'm really sorry. I was gonna no. ask what type of restrictions. Like, could you give an example, maybe? Well, because we're always trying to push our our music uh, with just the, the the way we compose or or the ideas we bring, mm-hmm. the the concepts that we have to write music. Um, and and Frontera kind of because it was writing for dance and the music wasn't going to be the the main attraction, mm-hmm. like the music was there to support the dance and and someone else's idea. Yeah, um, it kind of freed us because all of a sudden we had to write for something else. Like it, we were just a support, and um, I don't know how to explain it. It mm-hmm. it's, it it kind of allowed us to approach music in a more simple, simplistic way. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. It sounds. Like I mean, you said that it kind of freed you, so that yeah. sounds nice. Yeah, and this brings me to my you actually my next question. You <laughs> kind of answered it. <laughs> so you wrote new music for Frontera. Yeah, it's all new, and uh, so a lot of it was um, written with the dancers. Oh, we, okay. Uh, so we we went to see them a, a few times. We talked with Dana. We had we knew uh, she 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 mentioned to us like or she gave us ideas of what she wanted mm-hmm. so then we went to this rehearsal space worked on that and then spent we, we went back in um, in rehearsals with the dancers and then spent I think a good month with them just reworking everything mm-hmm. and basically so I, I'd say like 90% or 80% was written with them oh wow yeah that's wow <laughs> it seems surreal to me I don't know I don't um I dance, but I don't know much about writing music or composing music, so it's yeah. very, I don't know, surreal, really exciting stuff. And so I want to ask a little bit about the rehearsal process. So you said you were there with the dancers for rehearsals. Were you there for every rehearsal? or? No, it was a long process. I think almost two years. Oh, um, wow, that's long. Yeah. I think so. Um, maybe it was just a year, but it's a, my my mind is a little bit uh, <laughs> hazy right now. But, uh, it seems like it was a long time. Yeah. Um, so we would sporadically go in and see where they were at, what they were doing. And uh, Dana had been using music by other artists mm-hmm. just uh, for rhythm and mood, I guess. 
And uh, so we, we had that to start with. Like we, we knew what she was using. We knew the tempos. Mm-hmm. And we could see how the the piece would evolve. I guess the dancers also took time off. Like they, they weren't working like for a full year. Mm-hmm. I think they would yeah. go in for a while and then Dana would go back, rework everything. Then they would meet again. And, and so spor- sporadically we would go back and see where they were at. And before the Quebec premiere, which was in November, mm-hmm. I think starting in September, October, November, we started going in more often and having like a weekend with them, like playing with them. And then October, I think we did, a, October and November, we did a three-week or a month-long stay with them where we'd go in, I think, pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, that, that's where, like, everything really got solid, like, solidified. Mm-hmm. And we, that's where we didn't make the main part of the work. Mm-hmm. Okay, and did you, like, as a band rehearse besides these? Yeah. Rehearsals with the dancers? Yeah, we did. So especially uh, August, September, we'd, we'd go see them and then come back to our space and work on it. Mm-hmm. But again, I think like most of it was done in, in October. I, th- I think mm-hmm. it's hard to explain because like, we had a lot of material, but working on it without the dancers yeah. uh, was hard. Like we, we did work on it, but mm-hmm. then, then so much got orchestrated and uh, structured Mm-hmm. with the dancers just because we you know you see them move you see the order of the piece you you understand more clearly what what they're doing what it's about how dana wants it mm-hmm. so yeah yeah and i want to ask what do you think the audience should expect from frontera oh that's a good question uh <laughs> especially if coming like if you're asking it to us because yeah as musicians we never we never saw the piece like We still haven't seen it, how people oh. see it, you know? Oh, you haven't seen it? Well, because we see it from the back. Oh, okay. Because And no, and okay, there's maybe. a light show. There's, like, so much information going. And, yeah. Um, we, we, we see it from the back, and at times we're hidden behind a curtain. Mm-hmm. So we don't see at all what's happening then. <laughs> and when, we're, when we can actually see the stage, people actually don't see us. Then either, but uh, we can see what's happening on the stage, but we still have to play, so we're not, you know, we're not uh, visually uh, concentrated on what's mm-hmm. happening, but like because we have to do our our thing, mm-hmm. and uh, and and we're seeing it from the back, and it's not the same. The light show is probably not the same intensity for us that it is for the people because we're behind a mesh screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I've seen I've seen videos of it, but it's still I'm sure it's still very different than what people see live. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think that you were. I don't know why I assumed that you would be seeing the dancers. We, we do see them, but it's still I don't know how to explain it. Like it's it's uh, we we see a diff we we get a different experience from yeah. it. So uh, all that to say that I, I I realized playing the show that I would never experience the show like people <laughs> experience it. Yeah. Um, but that said, to go back to the, your question, mm-hmm. what I can say is that uh, I don't think anyone sh- I, I don't think people should ex- expect anything mm-hmm. because it's very uh, it's very sense the senses indulging. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to see, a lot to hear. There's so much movement, and and the stage is empty. It's only lights. Right, so like the lights are creating uh, structures and and borders, and and the dancers are going through them, and it's yeah, it's I, th- I think no expectations is the best thing. Yeah, that's that sounds great. We go in with no expectations, and I feel like because I'm seeing, I will my mind will be blown. I don't know from what you're telling me. It sounds really like a different experience from what I've seen in dance because it's not just dance. You you're playing live music, yeah. And as you said, there's lights, and so. Oh yeah, and the lights are are so important in the show. Like they, it's really three uh, identities coming together. Mm-hmm. You know, like and and then the dances, the dances is, is is one identity. Like it's Dana's creation, but the dancers are also coming from such diverse background mm-hmm. that that also is is I'm assuming. Okay, I'm I'm. Because I'm saying assuming because I don't have much experience with mm-hmm. dance, yeah. 
but um, I, I know that she played with the fact that they come from diverse background, diverse dancing mm-hmm. backgrounds, and that is also re- represented. So there, there's, yeah, there's so much information and so much uh, diversity in the show. But just coming back to the idea that it's three identities, it's just you. There's the 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 light. There's so is so important in the show. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds yeah. good. I will make sure that I really indulge in it. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you can't you can't expect it. You can't. Yeah. Uh, no, sorry, you can't escape it. Oh. Like the the light show is just it's imminent. Like it's it's yeah, oh, it's a wow. huge part of the show. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking with me. No problem. Yeah, I can't wait to, you know, as I said, come to the show, experience your music with the dance and the light and everything. It seems, you know, it's just, it it also looks good too. And there's a trailer online. I don't know if you've seen it on YouTube. So people can, if they want to see a little sneak preview, they can yeah. look at it. And just to remind everybody, Frontera is a one night only show. So it's tomorrow. Right? Yes. At 8 p.m. at the Queen Elizabeth Theater. And I'll be there. You will be there because you're playing with Fipe and Am Live. (laughs) Yeah. And thank you so much, AS. Thank you. Yeah, have a nice day. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. my lord, I need a creative outlet. How on earth can I channel everything that's inside of me? You know you can do that at CITR and Discorder, right? Pardon me? Yeah, you can illustrate for Discorder magazine or take photographs of events and artists and they can teach you how to use Photoshop in their media lab. That is so exhilarating. It fills my soul with lightning. Yeah, just email volunteer at citr.ca and they can help you get started or just come into the station whenever. I wouldn't miss it for the world. FunDrive 2020, CITR's annual fundraising week, is happening between February 5th and February 14th. This is the one week of the year where we ask you to dig deep and give what you can to support local, independent community radio. Our goal this year is to raise $30,000, which is a lot, but with your help, we can definitely get there. This year's FunDrive theme is Crush on CITR, and we've got some amazing crush-appropriate swag for you when you donate. We're talking about branded CITR and Discorder candy hearts, limited edition toques and mugs, and even on-air song dedications. That's right. Donate the right amount and you can publicly express your crush on someone in maybe the most romantic way possible by dedicating a song to them which will play on CITR on Valentine's Day. Fun Drive is happening February 5th to the 14th, but you can show your love for CITR right now by going to citr.ca slash donate. And thank you. That's why we call them crushes. 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 I was going to start this section talking about old stock, but since that's Fun Drive kind of... Yeah, it's happening. I'm gonna talk about FunDrive. Yeah, what, what a great transition. <laughs> so, um, FunDrive kickoff is February 6th. So next week, we are very excited for it. Um, one thing though is that if you want to get prizes, you must from our specific show, and we're gonna tell you what those prizes are right now, like two minutes. <laughs> um, you have to call in. You This is unfortunately one of the things that you can't donate online for if you're giving to a specific show. Mm-hmm. But here are our prizes. These are our show-specific prizes. Regardless of the sizing of your donation, you can get show-specific prizes and CITR prizes. Um, so that's pretty cool, I think. Yes. I mean, it's like double prizes for the yeah. same donation, <laughs> which is real cool. cool. But anyway, so... For the arts report, if you donate and pledge to the arts report, uh, if you donate at least $30, you can get a personalized digital portrait of yourself or whoever you choose. If you donate a minimum of $50, you can get a custom denim painting on clothing of your a clothing article of your choice. It could be a jacket. It could be a jean pants. Um, I'm a visual artist. I'm an illustrator. Um, if you're interested in looking at a portfolio and see, you know, is this money worth it? I mean, it is because you're getting into a great cause. <laughs> yeah. 
But if you're ever curious, like, um, is this money worth it? Go check out my Instagram at Lua Paints. Um, there I have a lot of works, a lot of the portrait styles that I do, and a lot of the um, painting objects that I do too. Hope you enjoy. Yeah. And last but not least, if you donate a minimum, oops, I messed this up. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, because it, it asks how many prizes do you have. I wrote 70 and a minimum donation required to five, but it was supposed to be inverted. Oh. So if you donate a minimum <laughs> of $70, we only have five of those. You get a costume embroidery of any item of your choice. Um, Sarah, our lovely, lovely Sarah, um, does is a master with a sewing machine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> she makes her own clothes. She does a lot of embroidery and a lot of beautiful, beautiful things. And you can get a custom embroidery of an item of your choice. It could yeah. be your name. It could be your dog's dog. face. It could be... A sunflower. Yes. I don't know. Whatever you want. It's up to you. And that's what we've got from Jive. So I hope you will be calling in. I'm really excited to, you know, do these things for whoever. Same. <laughs> Can't wait to get that embroidered <laughs> like, needle out. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're donating, donate to the Ars Report and you can get some cool prizes. With all that said, um, I will take a few minutes now to before the end of the show. Well, to end the show, I'm going to talk about um, Old Stock, a love refugee story, a refugee love story. Um, this, again, is part of the Push Festival. Um, Frontera is also part of the yeah, Push Festival. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. I now realize. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there are 10 more, 10? No, 12 more days to the Push Festival. So if you haven't checked anything out, you still have a little bit more time to go. Um, these shows are kind of like a one-time one event things. Not really. Mm-hmm. They happen more than once during the season of Push Festival. But they don't really happen that often. You won't be seeing them anywhere else. So be sure to check them out. There's some really, really great shows out there. Um, Old Stock was amazing. <laughs> It was here at UBC in the Frederick Wood Theater, uh, which is a, a, a very good theater. It's, uh, again, like we talked about earlier in the show, it does have a proscenium stage, but they did something very creative. Hmm. They created a stage within the stage um, where they're... So, again, this is a refugee love story. And the way the show starts is you walk in and there's this container, like literally like... Um, you know, like when they transport big things across the sea, like yeah. those big metal containers. It's not actually made of metal, but <laughs> I, I don't think it's made of metal. But it looks like a container, and it's right there in the middle of the stage. And you're like, oh, my God, what the hell is this? And the show starts, and a little hand comes out from the top and waves to you high oh my God. as the music plays. It's all live music, which is really, really cool. And then they open up. They literally open it up. Like they're the... The front becomes doors and they open it up so that you kind of now have this other space um, um, within the stage. And everything that happens on the play is set right there. And within all the spaces in the play that exist, um, also exist within that little container, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. It's a really cool idea because this is a story about migration. This is a story about changing and moving and, you know, transporting your life from one place to the other. And to use a container to do that, that's, I was just like, oh my God, this is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Again, me with set design, a love story. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, another thing is Ben Kaplan, who we interviewed last week, um, what a performance, what a guy. What a guy. Yeah. Um, there were two other actors that were playing kind of like uh, the other, the only two other characters in the play. Um, there were, however, there were five people on stage at all times. Um, two musicians, Ben Kaplan, who was kind of like the narrator, mm-hmm. um, gave us insight into the story, uh, narrated the parts that weren't shown, but it was also kind of like this hype men to the audience. Um, and also the singer. Again, this is a very interesting play because it's not an, a musical, but it's also like not just a play. It's a concert play thing oh, it has where music. it does have music. It has okay. live music and uh, the actors also play instruments, which is really incredible. Oh they'll God. stop acting and they'll start playing um, and then they'll come back into their characters. And at no point do you feel that there's a distinct, just like a, it just is 
disjoint or anything like that. It's very, it flows very smoothly. But the one thing I want to highlight above all is that Ben Kaplan stole the show. Oh my! Stole the show completely. Like if if this entire play would have been just him on stage telling me stories, <laughs> I would have been like, hell yeah! Oh my god, <laughs> that's how good he was. I want to see his perform now. He, <laughs> and the thing is, like, he hasn't been on stage for eight years. Oh my god! He hasn't been on stage for eight years. Only as a musician, he hasn't been acting for eight years, and he's coming back with this show. And it just blew me away how good he was. Damn. He had such a personality, such a stage presence. From the moment he opened his mouth to to have the first note out to the last one, I laughed, I cried, um, I was serious. I, <laughs> I, I I felt anxious with him. Like there are so many moments in this play that I, in the show that I was just like, how can music how can a single person how can this story that i have not necessarily any relation to make me feel so many things mm-hmm. and if for some reason you don't get to see the show but i hope you do <laughs> <laughs> all the songs of the show are on um spotify because i checked because after the show i was like i want the show to start over again right now <laughs> you know like mama mia yeah i was like the show was over, and I was just in awe, and I was just, like, sitting there. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just watched this amazing performance. I want it again. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know? Yes, I understand that very well. <laughs> and so all the, sh- all the songs are on um, on Spotify under Ben Kaplan, under un- Old Stock album. If you're not sure, this is also a great way of being, like, if you're not sure if you want to watch the show, go listen to some music. Mm-hmm. But I will say, um, incredibly so, Ben Kaplan sounds so much better live than really? he does recorded. How? There's an energy to his voice that I cannot describe properly, but he has a presence. And listening to his voice live compared to on a like recorded was just two different, completely different experiences. And I think that part of the reason for that is that you can feel his energy on stage, mm-hmm. and he has this very unique. You know, some performance performers will try their entire lives to have something that the, the way he does and I can't praise this man enough. <laughs> I, and the thing is I had never heard about him before this is like oh, I had never wow. heard about him before and like going into this play I'm just like this dude <laughs> this dude is incredible but anyway <laughs> that is our show for today the medicine show is coming up next I, I, yes. I'm sure you've been yeah. hearing them <laughs> throughout our show. Very exciting stuff. Um, see you next week. We have a very good show planned for yes. you. Tune in next week. We're going to be talking about Frontera. Yes, I have. We're going to be talking about Noises Off. Yeah, and then You're in Town. And You're in Town. We also have an interview with the director of the Year in, of You're in Town. Yeah, like a bunch of cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, tune in next week. Um, have a good weekend and a happy end of january oh and beginning of february worst. already can't believe that and don't forget to donate to fun drive yes donate to us <laughs> <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna make you pretty stuff yeah we'd love to make you pretty stuff yes uh and that's it for us today goodbye and have fun Like a pig.